This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. As always, I've got Tyler Lessard joining me from Vidyard. And today on Content Pros, we're going to dig into an area that we don't really talk enough about, I think. It's, it's Facebook. It's this big place that we all know is so important, but it's figuring out how do we leverage Facebook today? How do we leverage it for distributing content, for distributing you know, our advertising? And the guys who are going to bring on, I think, are going to bring more of a data-minded approach than perhaps the creative approach that we always you know, harp on here, being content-minded people. But you know, Tyler, I think you'll agree that that data side is, is just as important, if not more important these days. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And as a B2B marketer, you know, a lot of what we do centers around the use of data to understand how our audiences are engaging, what's working, and, and how we can use those insights to really fuel the optimization of our programs. Um, but to your point, as a B2B marketer, I don't think we've thought enough about the, the, the role of social and the role of, of places like Facebook to not only act as an advertising engine for us, but to really fuel the conversations we have with audiences outside of the normal streams such as email and uh, you know banner ads and things like that. So much like you said, super excited to have Peter and Jeff from Abacus Agency with us today uh, to share their insights on this world. So Peter, why don't you kick things off with a quick introduction uh, about yourself and what you guys have been up to at Abacus? Yeah, well, thanks for having us, guys. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. So my name's Peter Atano. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Abacus. So um, a little bit of background. I've been in um, marketing and digital marketing for, say, 10 years. I ran another agency called Spark before this, was, which was a full-service um, agency. We sold that agency two years ago and then set up um, Abacus. So during the kind of outro of that um, last agency, I did a lot of brand research, uh, market research on um, where I saw the, the agency kind of marketing landscape was going and started to do some consulting work with my now partner, um, Jeff. Jeff's been in the kind of startup marketing acquisition space for uh, 10, 15 years. And we both shared a vision for where we saw the marketing and agency world was going. And so we kind of bottled it up and uh, created Abacus from that. And the, the kind of main hypothesis behind Abacus, the main kind of value prop was um, we saw the world going specialist rather than generalist. So uh, my last agency was full service. We kind of wanted to be the, the opposite of that. So um, we didn't think you could be really good at lots of different things. So we really wanted to focus in on one thing, which was performance Facebook advertising. Uh, we saw the world going more data-driven, um, so a move from art and copy to code and data, 
and uh, need to tie everything back to revenue as far as possible. So those three things really drove the creation of, um, of Abacus. Amazing. And I think the things you talked about are, are obviously just as relevant in core marketing teams today. And I see it happening more and more of specialization with, you know, depth in certain areas, um, the focus on data and science. And so I think you're aligned, uh, you know, exactly as you should be with how, uh, you know, the modern marketers are, are really evolving, which is great. Um, Jeff, did you want to quickly introduce yourself and uh, a bit about your background? For sure. And thanks so much for having me. Um, so I've been in the startup world since 2001, which was the tail end of the dot-com uh, bubble. So um, I've always been leading customer acquisition with startups, often competing against companies that were much bigger and had much bigger brands and, and much bigger budgets. So I've always been forced to think about marketing in a different way um, than just spending money and hoping for a result because you can't outspend big competitors. Um, in 2015, I joined a startup here in Toronto, Canada called Borowell. Borowell is an online lender um, that lends money through the web and, and mobile to uh, good credit Canadians as, a, as an alternative to the bank. Um, and as, as the show goes on, I'm sure we'll touch on Borowell as a case study because Borowell used content to uh, compete against the big five banks in Canada in a way that they weren't really agile enough to do so. And, and had really amazing results, and I kind of lived uh, the marriage of content and acquisition for a couple years and, and came to some really interesting conclusions. So really excited to be chatting with you guys today. Oh, that's great. And, um, you know, I know we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about the data behind these programs and, and how to really take advantage of Facebook. But before we do that, um, of course, you know, it, it all comes down to the messages, the content you're actually putting out there um, and what it is you're going to measure and distribute. So um, what are you guys seeing in terms of the evolution in content and in, uh, you know, both for advertising and for broader communications with customers and clients? And, and where are things starting to shift um, in terms of, the kinds of media, the, the ways people are using these different channels, and, and what's, what are the big trends there that get you guys excited? So Peter always talks about context over content, and, and it's a very interesting example to use of Facebook as an example of context, because traditionally marketers think about their segmentation, so the targeting, the who, and they think about their messaging, the what, the value proposition. Um, but on Facebook, using click-through rate as, as a metric for resonance or, or context, you can effectively tell which messages are resonating the best amongst what audiences. So that's a really interesting confluence of data that a lot of people aren't taking advantage of, just using Facebook as a mass message, te message testing platform to truly confirm product market fit. And it's really important on Facebook because... Um, the audience, the, the, I'm sorry, the auction um, looks at that relevance and that click-through rate and that con con proof of context as important to the kind of uh, advertising or posts that they want to promote. So it just greases the auction and, and everything starts moving better when you're measuring it from a performance standpoint. So that, that's another trend is that a lot of people are now realizing that content funnels can be conversion funnels. And you can measure the results from content the same way you can measure the results from advertising. And often with content, you have a lot more leverage than you do with advertising, meaning good content has leverage that can't be competed on a dollar-to-dollar -dollar basis with a, with a bigger spender. So for small companies and startups, there's so much leverage in content. And if you can truly prove that context matching 
the, the what and the when. Um, you can do really special things on the Facebook platform, and that's what we did at Borowell. <clears throat> when we realized that um, a lot of the people who were taking our online loans were taking it to pay off credit card debt, um, it opened our eyes to a whole new world of content and really proving to the, the customer that we understand the pain that they're going through. And things dramatically changed in terms of the funnel when we, were, when we were able to drill in on that very specific segment and make the messaging just be a home run with them. Jeff, maybe you can just dig in on one of the, the points you said within there. And you know, a lot of the people who tune, tune into Content Pros, is, as uh, Peter said earlier, are you know still generalists versus specialists, right? I mean, we're going to a specialist route. But just to really dumb down this idea, of you can measure, as you said, on Facebook, what content is working and what content is not working. Maybe you can take us behind the scenes through a couple of simple steps, how that's done. You know, how does someone actually reflect on the spend that they're putting towards that channel? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, it's probably one of my favorite topics, in fact. Um, so I, I lived a content marketing moment at Borowell when we um, produced a case study on someone who refinanced their credit card debt with a low-interest Borowell loan and effectively... Um, one of, one of the personal financial uh, bloggers here said that the number one thing you can do to improve your, 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 uh, your wealth overnight is to pay off high interest debt. And we wrote a case study about how great this person felt about paying off the debt and having more control over their financial freedom and stuff like that. And I posted that blog post to my personal Twitter account and a friend of mine read it and asked me if I knew a company that, uh, that did that kind of thing because that was exactly the situation and the emotion and the weight that he was feeling right now. So I said, in fact, I do know a company I'm working for them. And, and he went through the process. And even though he was skeptical, even though um, he knew me, he went all the way through, refinanced the debt the exact same way the person in our case study did and wrote us this letter saying that it felt like there was a, a huge weight taken off his shoulder. So I really kind of lived through that moment and said, aha, this content marketing really works. But it only works if it's authentic. It only works if you're solving problems for customers. And it only works if you really know the customer you're speaking to, which we were able to figure out once we knew we were talking to credit card debt people. So that makes a lot of sense uh, on a one-off uh, scenario, right? And, and I'm not suggesting this doesn't work at scale. But back to the idea of measurement, how do we measure the success at scale, right? It's one thing to know that you know we broke through with one prospect and depending on the, you know, the ACV of our deal or the average deal size – uh, you know, maybe one deal is all we need. But for companies that are trying to figure out investing in Facebook at scale, what are some of the best indicators to know if a content's working or not? And how do you actually go through the, those functions to test? Sure. So one of the really nice things about Facebook is they have this thing called the Facebook tracking pixel. And it's a little tiny piece of JavaScript code that you put on your site. And it basically tracks conversions that you can set up. So if your blog post at the end says, um, you know, find out if this is right for you, take, take the um, apply in two minutes, it won't affect your credit score. We can track the number of people through the pixel that come and complete the application from the blog post. And then we can also track how many of those people um, converted into a, a loan offer. So by being able to track both of those conversions and driving it back, not just to the platform, but to the specific ad campaign that drove it, we could then divide the number of conversions by the amount we spent to have a, a CPA, a cost per acquisition. And the beautiful thing about CPA, the thing that makes really, really difficult marketing really, really easy, 
is if you use your cost per acquisition as a common denominator across all your marketing activities, both offline and online, and you try to figure out what the CPA is by channel, then you can just simply take the top 20% of the lowest CPA and double down on it as your scale strategy because ultimately it's your cost per acquisition that's going to determine whether you have the unit economics to support scale. And we can now measure content to the same uh, standard that we measured ads, which is super exciting because now we can put content very specific to specific personas at specific stages of the funnel and track the waterfall down to conversions. I, I love that. That is like the perfect explanation of, of evaluating channels. And I think it's amazing. And, you know, this is something I realized, you know, at Uberflip where I have, uh, you know, both the marketing team reporting to me as well as our finance team reporting into me in terms of how much overlap there is in terms of how marketing is actually determining the investment strategy of companies. So I think it's it's really important that marketers understand, you know, as you put it, you know, putting the CPA as the denominator and figuring out which channels are most effective. I want to just ask you guys, you know, and, and maybe this isn't for uh, Peter perhaps. But, you know, on your guys' website, which I was checking out at abacus.agency, you know, you have this concept of the idea that marketers are moving from art and copy to code and data, right? And, and you know, the argument we just, you know, walk through, that makes a lot of sense. But what's happening to art and copy in your mind? Like, how is that going to be managed in the future? Is that going to be in-house? Is that just going to be such table stakes? Where do you see that going? So... So, I mean, I love this topic. Um, the truth is we need we need both, right? So, I mean, Abacus itself, we're heavily focused on um, data-driven marketing, but we're also super focused on the creative side and making it work for Facebook itself. So we're not saying it goes, it's going anywhere. So I think it was David Welch, um, the former VP of marketing at Adobe, um, he was asked, um, last year to sum up the future of marketing in six words. And he said, creative thrills, but data pays bills. Um, and so all the creatives in the audience are, are cringing. Um, but the, tr- the truth really is we need both. So data helps us segment and map the buyer's journey, but creative is what carries your prospects and customers through it. So when you can connect to the right audience at the right place, but in a way that surprises and delights them, you can you can drive a much deeper impact. Um, but it's not as simple as, say, taking tried and tested creative that we always made and then layering in some data. It's not kind of um, old creative plus new data equals success. Um, one of my favorite authors is a guy called Neil Postman. He's kind of a um, – he's written a few books. One of them was called Technopoly, kind of questions um, um, – technological progress and what we get out of it and kind of tries to have a look at the negatives as well as the positive super cool um author but he said in um technopoly um technological change isn't additive nor subtractive it's ecological so one significant change generates a total change if you remove the caterpillars from a habitat you're not left with the same environment minus the caterpillars you have a new environment after tv in the united states was introduced you didn't have an old America plus TV. So it changes the ecosystem. And that's the way we need to think about creative um, going forward in a data-driven environment. The ecosystem has changed. So we need to generate and build creative around that um, change that's kind of holistic and takes into account. 
there was a there was a really good ad that I um, that I I use an example in my um, class at a uh, college I teach um, a couple of years ago. Coca Cola ran a, a Super Bowl ad um, that was made for traditional, but had um, digital in mind as well and data capabilities in mind. So the ad was this kind of four minute long stirring rendition of America the Beautiful sung in multiple different languages, kind of celebrating America's diversity and multiculturalism and all of that kind of stuff. And then they worked with Facebook um, afterwards to identify the affinity audiences for 10 second segments of the ad and splice the ad up and ran them to those audiences across Facebook straight after the Super Bowl ad ran on traditional. And that's the kind of thing we need to be thinking about with kind of new data plus new creative. So, you know, the one thing that gets me super excited about what you're talking about is there's the data side of understanding kind of what's worked, you know, generally in, in, the, in the marketplace as you, you know, put some content or an ad out there at broad scale, you know, see how it's impacting um, the results on the back end and then say, okay, I'm going to double down on that or, or not on this based on my CPAs. But the other piece to it is starting to use the data to then target people with very specific messages. And I'm going to use your example there where, you know, let's say I'm a big brand like a Coca-Cola and I might not want to do one general video or ad that's going to hit everybody. Um, I want to start to get to the point where I can create, you know, 10 different variants of that. And depending on the demographics or the interests of different subgroups, you know, I want to hit them with more targeted versions of it. And yeah. that's what gets me really excited as a, as a modern marketer, where I think, you know, that ability with tools like Facebook to better understand who these audiences are and segment my message accordingly, that's when I can get hyper-targeted and really optimize my performance. So my question to you guys, as, as you know, people who live in this space, how much of a reality is that today? And, and do you see platforms like Facebook, you know, continuing to open up the, you know, the data sets or, you know, the ability to really customize who gets to, to what messages get to what audiences based on a growing set of parameters? 100%. I mean, I'll give you two examples, personal examples. So I'm from a uh, small town in, in England called uh, Derby. We've got a really bad football team called Derby County, who I support, unfortunately. Um, a few weeks ago, I was hit with an ad on Facebook for a T-shirt for English expats who live in Toronto and support Derby County. So there must only be one or two of us in the, in the city. That <laughs> nice. Uh, um, but also another example on a kind of on a broader scale would be, um, you know, may not be a super popular example, but Trump during the election, um, his, his team were, were masters of that on, on Facebook. So they ran um, very specific messaging to very specific audiences with content they knew would appeal to them that was kind of updating in real time. Um, so it was, it was incredibly effective as we saw in the election. I just want to make a quick comment about that update in real time because I think that's something that people really don't understand about Facebook. But if you handle Facebook properly and from an advanced point of view um, and you get into conversion campaigns, you allow the Facebook uh, algorithm to figure out on the fly who's converting and try to deliver you more of them. So... It's almost like taking complete micro-segmenting, micro-targeting, but kind of putting it on autopilot because Facebook's algorithm has access to, to so much data behind the actual accounts that are converting that it can do a better job of figuring out 
what the audience is that you should deliver at scale than you can by, by working it back from personas. Uh, so it's really, really interesting technology. You don't have to touch it. it. It automatically regenerates based on the most current cohort of conversions. And it's it's really, really powerful. So with all this talk about advertisements and sponsorships, we're going to take a quick pause here from some of our sponsors on Content Pros. Hopefully it's really tailored to everyone listening in. And then within a minute or so, we'll be back with more questions for Jeff and Peter here on Content Pros. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip, it lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. Welcome back to Content Pros with Peter and Jeff from Abacus. Now, you guys, uh, I, I'm like buzzing over here with what we're talking about of this notion of, you know, automated algorithms to granularly target my audience on autopilot. Um, you know, it sounds too good to be true. Um, so I want you guys to just put this into real light and talk about some campaigns that you've seen out there to be super successful. And, and I expect that those are going to be ones that had a great creative and messaging edge, but then really leveraged the data um, and the Facebook platform to just, you know, explode uh, how it got targeted and, and who it hit. So do you guys have, uh, you know, one or two examples you want to talk to for the audience here to put it into real terms? Sure. I'm going to make it super real for you guys. So you, <laughs> you better be prepared. Um, we're currently working on a campaign that's in market right now for the body shop. Um, the body shop is trying to get um, a humongous number of petition signatures across all the company, countries they operate in to end animal cruelty and take that, the combined petition to the UN to get it stopped for good. Because it's very hard for countries on their own to stop animal cruelty when they need to be responsible for the ingredients that they import from other companies. Long story. So um, using Facebook, we are trying to get people to sign a petition, uh, a, a fairly simple call to action that to put their voice towards stopping animal cruelty. And when we came up with the original media plan, we came up with a number of different... Um, buyer personas or segments that we thought could could relate to the topic and would be interested in acting. And we reverse engineered basically targeting groups to, uh, to form each of those segments. And then using the Facebook pixel to track a conversion to each of the campaigns, we let the campaigns run and we were able to measure a cost per petition signature to figure out which campaigns were doing the best. And one of the ad sets that we tested these um, dreamt up personas against was a lookalike of the people that are converting. So because we're driving hundreds and thousands of petition signatures a day, the algorithm is getting a ton of really, really good data. And it's putting its pen to paper on what a, um, a target audience would look like that correlates high with the people that are already converting. Um, the hypothesis being it's almost impossible to outperform the algorithm based on the amount of behind sort of under the hood data that they have, they have um, access to. Uh, to make a long story short, the lookalikes are kicking butt and we are um, acquiring signatures at a, at a really efficient clip. So that's sort of a live, you know, as we speak, look into a test that's saying, you know, will cats convert better than dogs? Will PETA convert better than people who say they're dog lovers? Uh, do cute puppies or cute cats drive cheaper um, signature 
conversions. So I think that's a really cool example of putting the creative and the data and the tracking and a good cause and, um, you know, really good, uh, you know, we've had seven and a half percent click through rates in, in certain ad sets. And that's like insane, you know, an average might be 0.6 or 0.7. So you can imagine how um, Facebook would assign that campaign a really high uh, relevancy score and would also be really interested in showing it to a lot of people because it's doing so well. And it's only if you're able to do something really well that you're going to get a good result on Facebook. We have something at Abacus called the Facebook Ads Triangle, and it basically says that you need to hack one of three points of the triangle, either your click-through rate, your conversion rate, or your relevancy score. If you come to the table with average, average, average across those three metrics, you're just going to get an average or below, below result. So you need to come to the table with something above average in one of those points to have a winning campaign. And clearly with this body shop campaign, we're uh, you know, 10 to 20x a, a typical CTR and, and, and the auction is rocking. That's super interesting. I love that. I love that notion of um, the, the triangle. And I, I mean, I couldn't agree more because I, I think we all start to appreciate that these algorithms are self-fulfilling prophecies in some ways and that they reward success and relevancy, no different from how Google, um, you know, search runs on the back end. Um, are there any any tips or, or any other examples that you can share that would help you know your average average marketing leader out there think about you know what should I be doing to try to nail one of those and, and we don't have to talk about all three but how can I make sure I am creating a program that's going to optimize for either click through rate or for relevance um, you know what what do you guys what do you guys recommend or, or how do you approach that challenge? Well, I think it starts with tracking the right metrics. I think people are intimidated by data and they don't do what they need to do, which is just track a few metrics obsessively. And I love tracking uh, funnel conversion rates week by week because you can see them trend and you can figure out what uh, requires your most attention. Um, so if conversion rate is, dripping, is dropping week after week and you can see that by looking at it every week, then you know that you should be focusing on UI UX and conversion rate optimization and all the on-page stuff that might um, have be a bigger problem than your ads at the moment. So tracking cost per something that leads to revenue, it could be a click, it could be an install, it could be a purchase, it could be a lead, but something which is a direct lever towards revenue is really important. And then tracking the funnel conversion rate so you know where to focus your attention in terms of what needs the most triage the quickest. Really interesting stuff, guys. So we're we're starting to run down on time here, and and usually, you know, this is actually unique today. Tyler and I don't always get two guests, but it's been really you know a nice dynamic to have this full room conversation. So when we wrap up, we usually like to get to know our guests, and instead of asking each of you, I, I'm going to actually play you guys off of each other. So you know, we'll <laughs> we'll start we'll start with Jeff, but the the challenge for Jeff is going to be to help us learn more about Peter. So Jeff, I'm going to ask you this question. Peter, you can get ready. You're getting the same one. What is a really interesting fact about Peter? And what is Peter's go-to lunch when you guys go for lunch all the time? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. This is like um, the dating game, but on yeah, contemporary. Really cool. I totally wasn't prepared. That's fun. Um, so Peter listens to really loud, aggressive music. Um, <laughs> kind of picture like... Um, Oh, what was the movie, Pete, with uh, Christian Bale? Oh, um, he's on the drums. 
The Big Short. The Big Short. One of my favorite movies. Like that that kind of intensity of music. So that's something a lot of people don't know about him because he looks like this respectable British guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then his go-to lunch. He's not going to like me saying this, but he's always on some like extreme diet. So and he doesn't need it. I mean, he's a very, very handsome man. But he's always on some extreme version of a diet. There's always something that you're allowed zero of. So it really depends. But um, he doesn't need a lot of bread. If I could follow his nutrition, I'd probably have less bread. But I love bread. <laughs> All right, Peter, your turn. Revenge isn't isn't the best thing going second. <laughs> So sticking on the music trend, um, Jeff is obsessed with a band called Fish, which in England just, I mean, I'd, I'd barely heard of them. They're always kind of on the periphery of there. They were there, but no one really liked them. And then I came over to Canada and there were just people that were religiously obsessed with this band and Jeff is one of them. So I think he's been to see them maybe 70 times. He oh, collects, the, collects the artwork. He's going to a show in, in New York, but apparently they've uh, they've sold out, what, 13 shows at Madison Square Garden. Um, so there's this whole underground worship of this band that Jeff's part of. Um, in terms of food, you know, Jeff's actually, I, I, don't, I don't know what you eat downtown. I know he's a, he's a, he's a very good cook. Uh, he cooked me some Mamafuku chicken um, the other day, which was which was excellent. Jeff's not on a diet ever. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> so like good, nice fried food and stuff, you know. Um, yeah. Awesome. All right. I got one more question for each of you on each other. All right. So we, we talked today about the balance, right? The balance of art and copy versus code and data. For each of you, who would you put more as the art and copy person versus code and data? Like if one of you represents one or the other, who's going to own the code and data versus who's, who's the art and copy guy between the two of you to build, build not just the company you are, but you guys have a strong brand as well? It's really hard for us to separate the two because like Pete said earlier, code and data and art and copy is something new. You know, we have a client called Quest Trade, and they put together these amazing videos with people asking um, these pertinent questions about your investments. And we got them to build a vertical version for mobile because that makes it look native to to mobile and uh, a horizontal version for desktop. And they both performed really well. And I think that it's really hard at Abacus to separate the two because we need really good platform-specific creative to get the data result that we need. In terms of the yin and yang of Pete and I's um, relationship and how we keep each other in tech, I think that um, my head is stuck in 2020 and I'm constantly thinking about how to slightly reposition us to be the most relevant to this future that I'm anticipating. And, and Pete, with his agency back, background and understanding how to run you know, a really tight ship, is constantly looking at the quarter and the next quarter. And I think that's a really good yin and yang about us is that um, – we both have our eyes on, on different horizons at all times. 
But if I had to choose one, I would say I'm <laughs> I'm the artist. <laughs> Jeff the nerd. Perfect. Well, listen, guys, before before you turn this on Tyler and I and making sure that we know each other, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this podcast. It's been fantastic to have you guys on here sharing an area. As I said at the beginning, I don't think we talk enough about how to distribute content, how to leverage uh, these channels, you know, using the data and using the insights. So that our content gets out there, gets read, and does what we what we wanted to, which is convert people. Um, and that's a you know a great place to probably stop. This is uh, Content Pros, which is part of the Convince and Convert you know family of podcasts and other content. Uh, I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. I've had Tyler Lassard is always with me from Vidyard, and a you know special thanks goes out to Jeff and Peter for joining us from Abacus. If people want to check out more about them, they can go to abacus.agency. Uh, .agency is actually the end of, of that URL. And then uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us and please give us feedback. You know, we're at contentprospodcast.com. We're at iTunes. We're at Stitcher. We're at Google Play. Wherever you're looking for your podcast, we want to make sure that we're delivering you, you know, fresh insights to keep you thinking. And we thank you for joining in to Content Pros. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com. 